You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Good morning, Kensington. Come on, good morning. All right, go ahead and stand to your feet. All right, and help us sing this song. Is that all right? All right. Yeah. Just go ahead and clap your hands for us like this. You got it.
Yes, Lord, you, you give me joy down deep in my soul. Down deep in my soul. Down deep in my soul. Yes, you give me joy. Give it up for Jesus. Amen. A few years ago, I went on my first trip to Nepal. In the very first morning when we were gonna trek, we just started heading up the mountain. And I'm not kidding you, I think we were on an angle like this for like three or four hours. We kept climbing this mountain. I never thought we'd reach the village that we were heading to, but finally, after a few hours, we got there. And we settled in, we were all tired, and we just had this wonderful meal with this community and had this great time of uh, community with them. And then we heard our leader say something a few hours later. He said, hey, everyone, put your packs back on, get everything going, because we got a lot more trekking today. And I remember one of the teammates looked at me and he said, did he just say we're trekking more? And I said, yes. I went out to our leader, Ramesh, and I said, Ramesh, where are we going? And he pointed off into the distance and he had this tiny little blue dot across the mountain. He said, we're going to that little blue dot. That's a house. And he said, we have to come all the way around the mountain range. We have to go down into the valley and we have to come up to make it to that house. And we have to get there before nightfall. And I thought to myself, there's no way. We're all tired. This is gonna be long. We're never gonna make it. But sure enough, step after step, this little team of people went around this mountain, down into the valley, and made our way up. Those last two hours, oh, were excruciating, but we made it there just before nightfall and just before this horrendous rainfall, but we made it. I really think that this past year has felt like that, that we've had to go all the way across this mountain, down into this valley, and we're heading up, but here's the amazing thing to me. I really believe there's light at the end of the tunnel, and we're starting to see it. We're even seeing how things are starting to reopen around the country and around our own city. Uh, this past week, I got to sit down with a friend of mine and actually have a meal at a restaurant. And we've been doing that regularly and we had to stop for a while. And it was so energizing. We know that our students are going back to school little by little. So parents, you're celebrating. And by the way, great job, parents, at pivoting and changing with your grandparents, uh, whether you're foster parents, adoptive parents, single parent, all of the parents out there, you just done an incredible job. And here at Kensington, our Kensington Kids program is getting back into full swing as well. And we'd love to invite you to join our team of volunteers. We know that interaction and community for our children is so critical, but we also know how important it is for young couples to have a chance to breathe and to attend a service together. If you're passionate about children and you're attending live with us at one of our campuses, consider giving just an hour of your time and heart every few weeks to jump in and to serve because spending an hour pouring into the next generation is one of the most important things we can do. So if you'd like to help, I'd just say please go to our app, our website, or ask anyone in the lobby at the hub uh, what are the next steps that we can do in order to do that. So step in with us. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine, Father Ken Tanner, who's a great leader in this community, said something intriguing to me. He said that Jesus became the very thing that he loved the most. That Jesus, God, took on the form of humanity to enter into our human circumstances and be close to his creation. That's an extraordinary thought, actually. In some ways, it's probably like the ultimate episode of Undercover Boss. Okay, maybe that's stretching it just a little bit, but Jesus did walk in our humanity, and he had some of the most powerful and life-changing encounters with people. And this week, we are starting a brand new seven-week original series called Personify, where we'll be looking at some of the most intimate and intense encounters that Jesus had with people. 
And this will give us insight and deeper truths about God, about ourselves, and hopefully about the world around us. Our dream and hope for this series is that all of us will realize that Jesus is not detached, he's not an unapproachable king, but rather an empathetic and loving God. He desires to be part of all we are encountering in our lives, good or bad. We believe that church is much more than just four walls or just one hour per week. Church is God's people, and this past year really has shown us just that. It has forced us to think differently about what church could and potentially should be. And part of that is how our digital social spaces like our website, Instagram, Facebook, and other virtual platforms have led to greater connection and the ability to do church 24 hours a day, seven days a week. An easy way to connect is by searching Kensington Church and join your local campus Facebook group. That's just a simple step that can keep all of us connected and knowing things about Kensington. And just so you know, behind the scenes, we are working so diligently to reimagine what Kensington will look like leading into the future and how these incredible opportunities with our digital social spaces can help us bring the love and the hope and the peace and the presence of Jesus to more people close and far away. And I had this cool thing happen this past week, actually, that I went to my office and there was a letter uh, that was on my desk. So I opened up the letter, and I don't know if you can see this or not, but this writing is awesome. It's a handwritten letter by a 12-year-old from Alpena named Izzy. And I'm just gonna read a tiny bit of this. It said, Dear People of Kensington Church, my name is Izzy. I love watching Kensington Church as they're up in Alpena. And then he says this, um, the pastors and people at Kensington go out of their way to make everyone included. It is easier for us kids to understand than some churches. So I, thought, I don't know if that's a compliment or not, but I thought that was wonderful. And then it goes on to say, here are the, some of the series that I absolutely loved. And then towards the end, it said, thank you for talking about some of these issues that are happening in our culture. And at one point they said, it has opened my eyes to injustices around me and I'm standing up for them in my community. That's a 12 year old. And then it ends this way. It says, me and my sisters think Jalen, Jalen C. Wright, and all the others should totally try out for The Voice. So there you go. So Jalen and, <laughs> and Aaron and, and Davey and everyone out there that leads our great music program, you need to try out for The Voice, according to Izzy. You know, I was so encouraged and moved by Izzy's notes. And honestly, all the stories that we're hearing during this difficult time where people are experiencing the love of Christ through our community. It is such a great honor and privilege to be on this faith journey with all of you. And know this, we are going to make it. We are close. You know, it's been a long year, but we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We are heading around the side of the mountain. We've been down into the valley and we are heading up to our destination and God is with us and God is guiding us. Now, I've been looking at a passage in scripture, 1 Peter 5, and it says this, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I'm praying that our community, collectively and individually, feels restored, confirmed, strengthened, and established by God. I'm so grateful to be on this journey together with all of you, and I pray that you have a wonderful week. I'm just, I'm just wondering why Izzy didn't want me to try out for The Voice. 
You know, that would be disastrous. But, uh, but what a beautiful letter that was. And, and we really do believe, you know, we know that this time has been a really, really difficult time. And this past year has been difficult. And we know that there's a lot of stuff happening within uh, our community even now. And we're holding a lot of weight. But we do believe uh, that, that hope is here. And that we do see this hope coming and this light coming. So glad to be on this journey. My name is Danny. If we haven't met before, uh, hello to everyone here. But also hello to everyone watching on stream. We do this every week. But count on three. Let's say hi to everyone. One, two, three. Hey, uh, grateful that you are joining us. Well, we are in this brand new series called Personified. And we have someone that is a friend of ours and a part of Kensington, part of our Travis City campus, that is going to lead us. And uh, the first service is awesome. Uh, she's just a great, great teacher of the Bible and truth and, uh, about Jesus. So I'm excited for you to hear her. I'm going to introduce her in a moment. Uh, but before we do that, I want to celebrate something that's happening within our community. Of course, we know that February is Black History Month. And if you know me on social uh, networks or whatever, I've encouraged people to, hey, really dive into this month. Uh, ha- I'm doing something every day where I can kind of research and listen and read and watch something that will really give us insight into the great uh, black leaders and contributors of this wonderful country. And so we've been going through some of that. But then Jalen Seawright and his wife, Kiana, did something very interesting for Black History Month. And I don't know if you're aware of it, but it's getting national attention. Uh, they decided to take their two beautiful little girls and dress them up as uh, iconic leaders in the black community over history. And the first one they did was Rosa Parks, of course. And they decided to go to my wife's workplace, which is the Henry Ford Museum. She's worked there for over 20 years. And they have the Rosa Parks bus there. And so they decided to dress <laughs> the little ones up as Rosa Parks and take them to this bus, and it caught fire. And they've been doing a number of different ones, but check this little bit out. This is national news. They've been getting interviewed by a number of uh, networks. Let's check this out. We know that, like, in this whole pandemic and things like that, that, like, uh, we were going to have to get creative in the way that we were uh, trying to celebrate Black History Month. If you know, uh, if you go to the Henry Ford, you will see they're, they're, they're dressed up as Amanda Gorman there, uh, the poet laureate that, that spoke at the inauguration. But they've just been going through all these different, these, these different things. It's not awesome because it's just been, they've been interviewed by so many networks. And so it's been great uh, to see someone in our community being creative and engaging in our culture and bringing Jesus to our culture. So it's just been a really, really fun uh, week. Well, we are gonna, I'm going to introduce Betty in a minute, but uh, before we do that, we're going to receive our offering. And if you've come and you're prepared to give, you're part of this community, thank you so much for being part of that. Uh, if this is uh, your home, obviously we do this as an act of worship. If you're brand new here, uh, this doesn't have to be your moment. If you want to take part, beautiful. And you give online as well. And so we really, right now, we're not passing anything in the room, as you can imagine. We do have some buckets in the back, and when you're leaving, uh, if you'd like to be part of that, this is our moment of engaging and being in worship. So this is for Amy and I, my wife and I. This is the moment where we say, here, Lord, we want to be part of a movement to create beauty, to create movement rooted in Jesus around the world. And so we want to be part of this. There's a number of ways that we give, as many of you may know. If you don't, uh, you can text 77977 to Kensington. Uh, You can also download our app and connect to everything Kensington there. 
You can go to our website. You can mail in or, like I said, uh, part of the box. But thank you for your generosity. The generosity of this community, of all of you, is extraordinary, and especially this past year. So thank you so much for that. Well, I'm so proud to introduce someone that means a lot to me. She's a fellow artist. Uh, she is part of our Traverse City uh, community. She is one of our, uh, the members of our teaching team at Kensington. And uh, really, she is a friend. And so I would like you to, to just welcome to the stage Betty Dickinson. So it's nine, nine o'clock was just awesome. Oh, and thanks. you're so gifted at teaching. Uh, the passage that you're going to teach today is a powerful passage to begin with, but you give us such new perspective. But I'd just like you to bump us into a little bit of how you're kind of connected to Kensington. I know you're going to talk more about that later, but you can talk yeah, a little bit Yeah, so I grew up just a mile from here. And so I grew up in Troy most of my life, but then uh, later moved to Kalamazoo, Grand Rapids, went to seminary. And while I was in seminary, I came back here to do an internship. I was actually Mark Nelson first arts intern, and that was a blast. And I just loved this community. I loved what God has been doing here. And I just kind of knew, like, I had a feeling that God's going to bring me back to Kensington somehow. And then it wasn't long after that that we moved to Traverse City, have been in Traverse City uh, for three years. And of course, just before then, uh, the Traverse City campus was planted. And so it's been an honor to be a part of the Traverse City campus and be a part of the work that God is doing there too on the teaching team and serving in that community as well. Yeah, so we're, we're excited. I'm excited to, uh, for you to hear, Betty. But let me pray. I'm going to pray like I'm going to reach out to touch you like this. But uh, Lord, thank you so much for Betty. Uh, thank you how you've wired her uniquely to preach your gospel in a way that permeates our heart in a new way. I ask that you would set her free to do what she does best, which is to paint a picture of the kingdom of God, paint a picture of Jesus' face, and call people to it. We ask, Lord, that today you speak to us individually and collectively, even with through technology, that you would connect our whole Kensington community to your face, to your truth, and to unite our hearts through the person of Jesus. Lord, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus, and we say, amen. Amen. You guys are in for a treat because our arts team has been putting something together special to help us get into the message. And I just really believe that the arts can help soften our hearts and prepare us for the work that God is going to do through his word. And so I'm just excited for you to see the beauty that they will help us enter into this moment. So watch this. Beauty, we long for it, measure it, worship it. It can bring us to tears, bring us to our knees, bring our wandering souls in close, or it can master us as we hunt it. Desperate to be it. Push, prod, pluck, plunder our futures for that moment, gaining that thing, that someone. That level of status or fame, or maybe just a frame of perfection all perception and deception. But real beauty, unadulterated by trends, the kind that doesn't shift with winds, it is not earth-tethered, heavy-booted, practical and predictable, it's heavenly. Lifts us skyward, right into the blazing colours of the sunset, and we feel the thrill of artists near, the one whom all beauty is, found, made, sustained, bravely won, Beauty beheld is buoyant, our eyes drawn up, up, up higher than earthly spires, our souls follow, there is order, they say. 
everywhere I see extravagance, magnificence, it is the whimsy of artist, the explosion of emotion, unrestrained passion for colour, texture, form all variety of, and to whom it may concern. See the rolling and frothing of rhythmic waves. See the tiny, cold fingers of a just-born babe. See the vastness and mystery of endless space. Beauty is grace. He stretched out the plans and woven threads, tight embossed and embellished and breathed into life. It cannot be contained, explained, earned, not man-made, blind men measuring with broken scales to a perfect tent, dealing out crushed hopes and luring them back again. There is abundance here. He is abundance. In the famished lands, feast your eyes. In the grey monotony and drudgery, hear the swelling of the song. The reverberation filling thoracic cavity, sending hearts pumping. Plunging back to the ethereal from the ground down. Lowliness of less than. Beauty. Skin deep. Soul deep. Etched in the lines. You thought it was time. The withered hands of his servant who gave an embrace to the hungry. The limping step of his servant who gave living water to the shattered hearts. Breathtaking. All taking artistic pains in the delicate butterfly wings of stained glass panes. And in the taking and giving, he has ever given. The taker of pain. The giver of beauty. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her.
Wow, what a profound embodiment of what we're gonna talk about today when we talk about beauty. I just want you to think for a second, what was beautiful to you in that moment? I think we all had an encounter with beauty right now and I just want you to think, what was beautiful? The arts team, you guys have incredible gifts that like Mary, you have offered in an alabaster jar pouring at Jesus's feet in love for us and love for Jesus. And it is an honor to share the stage with you guys. So thank you for creating this moment for us. Yeah, let's give them a round of applause. Thank you. Let me pray as we enter the text. Jesus, I thank you so much for this team here, for your beauty demonstrated through them and through their gifts. And Lord, I just pray that as we talk about beauty today and as we dive into this passage, that each person here in person and watching online would have a significant encounter with you and with your beauty. Amen. Well, you may not know me very well, but I'll tell you that this place feels like home to me. Because when I was 11 years old, I had a lot of questions. I had a lot of questions like, what's the meaning of life? And is this real? And is there a God? You know, all those philosophical questions that you ask when you're 11 years old. This is a picture of me when I was 11, same haircut. And uh, it's pretty cute though, right? So um, I had a lot of questions that I was asking about God. And I remember, because I didn't, you know, grow up knowing much about God or Jesus. And I remember laying in my bed and looking at my sister's bunk above me and praying, God, if you are real, show me who you are. And I will never forget, not a couple weeks later, our neighbors invited us to church. And I, it was when Kensington was still at Troy High School. This was before this building was built. And I will never forget opening the minivan and sliding it open because you used to have to slide it open. And I remember stepping out of the minivan terrified as we were making our way into Troy High School because I thought, I don't know anything about the Bible. I don't know anything about Jesus. I'm not sure when I'm supposed to sit or stand. And if anybody asks me a question of like, what's going on, I'm gonna look like a complete fool and a complete idiot. And so I was so frightened. But what happened when I stepped into the Troy High School auditorium is that I had a profound encounter with the beauty of Jesus through all of you. And in the message that Steve Andrews was giving that time, all of a sudden, all of the wrestling and the questions and the struggling I was having in myself found their home in him, in Jesus. And you gave me that. And it was moment after moment after moment like that here at Kensington of encountering the beauty of Jesus through you I remember my baptism service sitting right over here and reading aloud, hearing my voice read aloud the letter I had written declaring that I wanted to follow Jesus and proclaiming that to the world. And so this place and you all have significance for me. You have been like home to me and I wanna thank you for going after the one because I was that one. And you all represented the beauty of Jesus to me through the way that you loved, through the ways that the arts team here served to create beautiful moments for us, and through the ways that you represent the beauty of God in the community outside these walls. So thank you. Thank you for that honor and for welcoming me into this place. And 
I'm so honored that 23 years later, I get to stand on this stage and talk about one of my favorite subjects in all the world is beauty. As Danny said, I'm an artist. And so this term beauty has significant value for me. And it's a question that I've been wrestling with a lot the last few years of what is beautiful? What makes something beautiful? Where does beauty find its source? And a friend of mine, Carrie Wallace, she's writing a book called The Discipline of Inspiration. And what she started to do in this book is she started to do research around all of these different artists of the ages, some of the greatest artists of all times that we would all agree created profound works of beauty. Bach, Beethoven, Michelangelo, Da Vinci. She even had Michelangelo in there, or uh, Michael Jackson in there. And uh, she was asking the question, what is the common thread? Is there a common thread between all of these artists? And what she found is that, you know, they lived very different lifestyles. They even had different beliefs and things that, ways that they thought. But one common thing that she found in common was that all of these artists attributed their inspiration to something outside of themselves, something bigger than them. Something eternal. And as I've wrestled with this question and thought about this, and as I've studied this passage that we're going to look at today, I believe that beauty finds its source in God himself. And that every act of beauty an artist creates is simply a response to the beauty that we see in who God is and the way that is expressed in the world. So the passage we're looking at today, though, uncovers this word beautiful, where Jesus has an encounter with a woman that he calls beautiful. And what I want you to know about the context of this passage, as it was read earlier, is that the the surrounding climate of this passage is very dark. It is sort of this leading climactic moment up to the cross. This is just a few days before Jesus goes to the cross. And so you can almost feel the tension building in the story up to this moment where people are coming in. It's for a couple days before Passover. So people are coming into the city to celebrate Passover. This is just two days before Jesus has his last supper with the disciples. So every moment with Jesus is so Precious, and we see something very significant about who Jesus is in these last days. And Jesus, there was a banquet thrown in his honor, and lots of people are at a banquet. A banquet is a very, you know, luxurious, extravagant meal that the disciples and a few others would have shared with Jesus. And what you need to know about banquets at this time is that it was only men were permitted to the banquet. Women were only permitted at that time to serve. So they were only allowed to approach the table to serve. But here you have Mary, and John's gospel tells us this is Mary, the, the, the sister of Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead, and Martha, who's a good friend of Jesus, but I can almost imagine her kind of hovering in the shadows of the room, maybe standing in the doorway, shifting her weight with this alabaster jar, thinking about what she was about to do. Because what she was about to do was about to create an incredible disruption and distraction to the meal. But here Mary busts in the room with this alabaster jar and breaks it, And everybody would have gasped at that moment. She then breaks it, pours it over Jesus's head, and everybody would have just gone silent. What did you just do? Because as the text shows us, the perfume in this alabaster jar would have been worth a year's wages. It was essentially like Mary took her 401k and just dumped it over Jesus's head. That is how significant of an act that she did. And everyone would have just been gasping at this moment. 
But not only that, not only was this an extravagant act of financial cost, but this likely would have been in an alabaster jar that was a family heirloom, likely passed down from generation to generation as she breaks it to honor Jesus. And not only that, she takes it another step further where she takes her hair, which would have been hidden and kept back for women at the time, only let down for their husbands. And she gets down on her knees and takes the crown of her beauty and glory for women at the time was their hair. And she takes her hair and lets it down, her beauty and glory, and wipes Jesus' stinky, smelly feet with her hair, lavishing him with her dignity and her glory and her beauty. Can you imagine being in the room at this moment? Everybody there would have been caught up in the beauty of what she has just done for Jesus. So what do we see from Mary and this story about what is beautiful? Jesus calls this act beautiful. What do we see is beautiful from this act? I think the most obvious thing we see here is that beauty is extravagantly generous. It was great cost what Mary just did for Jesus. Not only was it the financial cost of the, of the perfume in the alabaster jar, it was the sentimental, sentimental cost of breaking something very precious from her family, but also it was lavishing Jesus in a very risky public way, risking the cost of public humiliation and shame. To go into this room full of men and do this act would have humiliated her in the midst of all these men. And I'm sure she was wondering, like, I'm not sure how everybody's going to respond to this. She risked shame and rejection. And that is exactly what she gets. The disciples cry out indignantly. The text says they were indignant, which means like nostrils flaring, so angry at what she just did. They say, why this waste? This perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor and they rebuke her harshly. Why this waste? Can I just be honest with you? As I look at Mary's story and I think about my story and my journey as an artist, I get Mary. Because I'll tell you, as an artist, it is a costly and extravagant, luxurious act to pour out your gifts in the world. And for me personally, when I am creating, it is, it is kind of like this intimate moment with Jesus where I am worshiping and I am responding to him and I'm responding to the moment and I am creating and it is, it is extravagant. I mean, the time that it takes to create and also art supplies are not cheap. And so the, the wealth and the cost put into this has been really hard to do in the midst of a culture that we really value efficiency and productivity and success and what we can measure. Beauty feels like a luxury. And especially during this pandemic, this was really a struggle for me when we started to have terms like essential versus non-essential, right? Where we started to talk about really had to hunker down on survival and there's a reason that we did that and it's important that we did. But it kind of developed a complex for me because I was on sabbatical at the time and over sabbatical, I had planned to just spend time creating and worshiping Jesus and responding to him. And it was hard because I was like, is my work and is creating beauty essential? And I wonder even for some of us in this room to ask the question, is beauty 
essential? Do we need it? And this was the question that I was struggling with. And so every single time I was about to go into my studio, I would hear the words like the disciples saying, why this waste? Why this waste? You could have been sewing masks, except I don't know how to sew. Or you, 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 know, you could have been spending this time caring for people in the community, or you could have spent this money on the poor, but like, why would you spend all of this time lavish, lavishing yourself on Jesus through creativity and beauty and art? Why this waste? But what I love about Jesus in this passage is how he responds to this woman's act of extravagant generosity. He says, he comes to her defense and I can almost see him standing between Mary and the disciples who are saying why this waste. And he says, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing for me. Why are you bothering me, her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. Jesus shows that the expense pointed to something deeper than the money. It pointed to how deeply she treasured him. How deeply she loved him. Beauty is extravagantly generous. And all extravagant generosity finds its source in love. And the closest association I could think of when thinking about what would this be like in our day and age, what Mary just did, I think about a marriage proposal. That's not what Mary is doing here. But guys, you know, you pour yourself out for your beloved and hopefully you do that today on Valentine's Day. But, you know, my husband, he proposed on the beach and I can just imagine him, you know, like getting down on one knee. He's bought this very expensive ring and sort of pouring himself out to me. And then all of a sudden the heckler on the beach walks by and says, what a waste. Like, how would that make me feel, <laughs> you know? But this is exactly what's happening. She is lavishing her whole self, all of her gifts, everything she has, her whole soul on Jesus because she loves him deeply and she cherishes him. And her act is a demonstration of this. And love is not practical. It is not efficient. It's not pragmatic. It doesn't get us from point A to point B. That is what her act points to and that beauty reveals in this moment. And her beauty and her extravagant generosity points to an extravagant and generous God that we have. She is simply responding to the beauty that she sees in Jesus and responding to an extravagantly generous God who lavishes our world with sunsets and sunrises every day that some of us never even really pay attention to. And thousands upon thousands of variations of flowers and birds and animals and trees, God constantly lavishes our world with extravagant generosity and expressions of his love for us. And Jesus, in the way that he lived, lavished the world with extravagant generosity in the way that he loved and the way that he served. And she is pointing to this through her act of beauty and extravagant generosity. And she's simply responding in kind. And what we see in Jesus defending her is that he saw what the disciples she missed. He elevated her act of beauty because it revealed something that the disciples missed. He says, the poor you will always have among you, but you will not always have me. 
Jesus isn't downplaying the poor, but he's calling attention to the significance of this moment. And that's what beauty does. Beauty illuminates the eternal in the present moment. What do I mean by this? Have you ever been to a sunrise or a sunset? And sunrises and sunsets are called these thin places where it seems like the veil of heaven and earth is paper thin. And you stand before the glory and beauty of the color displayed in the sunset and you all of a sudden are taken to a different place. It's like all of a sudden something is awakened in you and you just realize there is something bigger than me going on here. There is something more to me and more to this story than I have been paying attention to. Beauty awakens us to who we are and who we were meant to be and who God is. It awakens us to the eternal significant moments in our lives. And we are caught and captivated in it when we encounter it, aren't we? And we want it to stay. We want to cherish that moment. I remember recently when I went and watched the sunset with my mom at Pyramid Point, which is a really beautiful spot overlooking Lake Michigan, close to where we live. We were looking over the sunrise and I was just experiencing this with all of these people together, all of us captivated by the moment. But it was getting kind of late because the sun sets pretty late in the middle of summer in Traverse City. And so it was like 10 o'clock and we were like, we should probably be going even though the sun hadn't completely set yet. And I remember making my way on the trail away and I turned back and I started to see the sun continue just through the trees. And I was like, I gotta go back. And I just, you know, went back to the trail just to see one more glimpse, just one more glimpse of the sun going down because it was so beautiful. And that's what happens when we encounter beauty is we want want it to stay and we want to stay in that moment as long as we can because we know that it is slipping away. And that is exactly what Mary is doing here with Jesus. Perhaps she anticipated that just in a few days, Jesus was gonna be going to the cross and Jesus was on his way like the sun going down. He was about to light up the sky in the most profound act of beauty this world has ever seen pouring himself out in extravagant generosity and sacrificial love on the world. And Mary's act is like a spotlight that points to it, saying, look, behold, the Son of God, the image of the invisible God, the one in whom all things hold together. Jesus, the Messiah, is right here. And he was only going to be there a short while longer. The disciples were missing it. They considered her act a waste. Have you ever missed that? Have you ever been the one to miss it? To miss that moment of beauty? To miss God's work in the present moment? I'll tell you, though I am an artist and I love to lavish beauty on Jesus and respond to him like Mary, I also have another side of me that is at war with myself with this. Because I'm an Enneagram 3, and if you guys know anything about the Enneagram, the Enneagram is an achiever, which means I am really good at getting things done. Oh, I see another achiever over here. Yes, I see you. So you know what this is. So when you are an achiever, you're like, I am so fixed on goals and getting things done, and I have like lists that have lists of things that I like to get through during a day. And I can just hammer it out, you know, okay, I'm going to cram through my inbox, and I'm going to cram through my text messages, and I'm going to 
boom, 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 like bust it out throughout the whole day. And we live in a culture that that's, that is that way as well, that we value the goals and success and the, you know, pragmatic, practical ways of giving through life. And so we value what is efficient, but this is anything but efficient. And so many days I can miss out in the beauty of the moment because of my drive for what is, you know, what's, what the goal is and what I can accomplish. But beauty anchors me in the present moment. It anchors me in my humanity to remember that I am a person of flesh and blood, that I am not a machine like the machines I operate on, but that I am limited yet filled with divine presence. And beauty awakens me to my humanity and the divine within me and around me. And I had one of these moments like that where I was watching The Greatest Showman. Any of you love The Greatest Showman? I was watching it with my family and we were getting to the point in the film where P.T. Barnum as played in The Greatest Showman. He is on this hunt for success and fame and all of the things that he wants to rack up in his life to make him feel secure in who he is and to make others love him and respect him. And he goes down on this spiral in the movie and at the end of the film, he has this moment where he recognized after all of his failures that he has missed his family, that he's missed the moment. And he, he slows down and he says this part in the song, he says, for years and years, I've chased their cheers, the crazy speed of always needing more. But when I stop and I see you there, I remember who all this was for. And P.T. Barnum has that moment of remembering in the act of beauty he sees the beauty in his family and it calls to mind why, worth, why this life is worth living. What is so significant and precious in this moment? And likewise, as I'm sitting there with my two boys that are two and four, we're cuddling together and I'm cuddling next to my husband watching this film, I had that moment of awakening of, have I been so busy and caught up in all of the things and all of the projects and all of the successes that I've missed the sacredness and the beauty of my family? And that's what beauty does, is it illuminates the eternal in the present moment, but it also illuminates the darkness in us sometimes, doesn't it? It illuminated for me where I was missing it. And Mary's act illuminated where the disciples were missing it. And what's crazy about Mary's story here and her act of beauty is that as book ended in this story, at the front end, the chief priests are scheming for a way to kill Jesus. Then we have her story. And then at the end of the story, Judas then goes and portrays Jesus. And her act revealed like a giant spotlight what they really treasured in contrast. Her act was like a light illuminating a night sky, revealing who Jesus is and why he is worth the sacrifice. And I'll tell you, beauty shines best in the darkness, doesn't it? because it's when we need it the most. In a world that is broken and decaying, we hunger for beauty because beauty nourishes the soul. In this story, we get a glimpse of Jesus's humanity here, that he was hungry for beauty. He was about to go to the cross and he was anticipating his death. And I can almost see him slowing down and tenderly saying, she did what she could. 
She poured perfume on my body to prepare for my burial. Jesus had a few days left to live and he was hungry for beauty. And he recognized that what she did was an act of love for him that nourished his soul and reminded him that somebody loved him. And it also reminded him of where this story was going. I can almost picture Jesus on trial, insults being hurled at him and him taking a deep breath in and maybe smelling lots of things. But perhaps somewhere in there was this fragrance of this perfume that would have been this earthy cinnamon scent. And as he smells that, remembering that while everyone around him may be rejecting him right now, there is someone who loves him. And that nourished him deeply. I can picture him there on the cross, excruciating and excruciating pain, taking a breath and smelling just a hint of that fragrance. His body was going to be decaying and her act of beauty covered that shame. And it also pointed on towards hope that this isn't where the story ends, that it doesn't end with Jesus in the grave, but it ends with life. And that is what beauty is revealing here. That is what we hunger for and we long for in the midst of darkness is hope. Beauty nourishes our souls with hope. And I'll tell you, our world is starving for beauty right now, isn't it? We have had quite a year. And in the midst of darkness and loss and despair and suffering and death and division and hate, beauty nourishes our souls. And it didn't take long for us to see beauty shining in the darkness, did it? It wasn't long after shutdown that we began to see Italians singing to one another on balconies. Or our computer screens light up with Zoom choirs, illuminating the significance of this moment that there is beauty and there is hope here. But I'll tell you, beauty is not just found in the arts. Beauty is anywhere love is lavished on a broken world, like this woman did, like Jesus did for us. It's just that Artists help us draw our attention to it. But when you look for it, you will find it. And you know where I found it? I found it here. This is a picture of my sister, Jess. She's a PA chief, a physician's assistant chief at Royal Oak Beaumont. And this is another picture of her on the left. I'm super proud of her. And I saw something beauty, beautiful arise in her in the midst of this time. Because in the midst of chaos and in the midst of despair, you know, she would call me and we would talk about stories of how she would go into the hospital and she would see families saying goodbye to their loved ones because they weren't sure that they were going to see them again. And she would see all of these people that were scared and frightened and she would tell me what it was like to talk to patients that she knew weren't going to make it. And I saw a video of her at a drive-in test site where she showed up and she was running the test site and I just saw car after car pull up and I just could sense the fear and anxiety and the people in the car, like just, I don't know what, what's going on, what I'm gonna do. And I, what I saw in her and rise in her was profoundly beautiful. The way that she demonstrated empathy and compassion, the way that she risked herself showing up to work every day, risking getting sick or her family getting sick, but she showed up and she expressed 
profound beauty in the way that she steadied and calmed and spoke hope and life into the people that she worked with in her staff and in her patients. And I remember one time she told me, she's, she's like, after seeing some of these images on screens of her face, she's like, I don't really love that my face has been the face of COVID. And I remember saying to her, Jess, no. Like you are the face of, of hope in this time. You are the face of Jesus in the way that you lavish yourself sacrificially pouring yourself out to demonstrate the beauty of Jesus. And people need to see that face right now. They need to see the one who is at great cost and risk to himself like Jesus going and loving and caring and serving those who need it most. And that is what she did every day. And I, like I said, in the midst of COVID as an artist, I was like, I'm not even sure what I'm supposed to do right now. I can't sew masks and I'm not really supposed to go anywhere. So I spent my time in the studio. I did what I could. And I stood in solidarity with her and with all those who were suffering as I painted and I would pray for her and I would pray for our essential workers and I would pray as I was painting and I would worship Jesus and I wanted to paint what I saw arise in my sister. And so I painted this piece called Valor, which Valor means bold determination in the face of great danger. And that's what I saw arise in my sister. I saw beauty arise in her and I wanted to respond by creating beauty in response. And to, to picture here, what I was trying to capture is that in, in the midst of the surrounding chaos and darkness, her arising into it. And I just saw her arising to be the person that she was created to be. I told her, Jess, you were made for this moment. And she truly was at her best. And so I had to respond in creating beauty and like kind. And that's the way beauty is. It's, it has a ripple effect to it. Beauty begets beauty, begets beauty, begets beauty. And like I saw in my sister, I responded with beauty. And like Mary, she was responding to Jesus's beauty and creating beauty. And then Jesus says, her story will be told anywhere the gospel is preached. So her story has multiplied millions of times over, pointing to and demonstrating the very source of that ripple, which is Jesus and the beauty that is him. Her story is deeply connected to the gospel because it points to who God is. Our God who is extravagantly generous. Our God who lights up the night sky and illuminates the eternal with the present moment. And our God who nourishes our souls with hope and beauty. And the encouragement from Mary and in this passage is to become captivated by the beauty of God again. Let me ask you, when was the last time that you were so captivated by the beauty of God that you were lost for words, like the song says? That you couldn't help but respond in awe and worship and wonder and throw yourself at the feet of the king who laid himself down for us. We need to become recaptivated by the beauty of Jesus again. Because when we are, we cannot help but respond by creating beauty in the world. And our world needs to see the lavish beauty of God these days. 
And so I want to encourage you with a couple artist tips on how to seek out beauty. You ready for this? You guys want some artist tips here? It is a discipline to seek beauty out in the midst of a culture that has blinders on, where we are so distracted and caught up in anything going on in our screens, where we caught up in the rat race and the agenda and the efficiency and getting it done. It is so hard to be captivated by beauty because we so often miss it. So to create a discipline in your life of seeking beauty and attending to it is super important. And even while I'm an artist and seeking beauty in creating is a discipline for me, I also have to discipline myself to be nourished by beauty in the world. And so something I've been doing recently is after I drop my kids off at school, we live, uh, their, their school is right on a street that leads up around the bay in Traverse City. And so I know it's pretty nice. I'll just say that. Uh, so I drop them off at school and I drop them off right around the time of sunrise. And I've made a discipline to just take this drive up. And once I hit this curve, I all of a sudden see this brilliant sunrise. And every time I've just been like, Wow. And so I've captured in here just the last few weeks this, these snapshot images of what I've seen in the beauty in the sunrise every day. And then at the end of the day, I go out in my backyard and I go and look at the sunset, which is some of these bottom ones. And what I do that is it anchors me in my humanity. It anchors me in the present moment and it anchors me in what God is doing right now in the present moment to take a deep breath and remember my humanity, to see and to smell and to taste and to hear what is going around in me anchors me in the present moment. And that's a practice that you can do daily. It's just to seek out beauty either in the sunrise or you can even do it with your family at kitchen, you know, at dinner time. Just stop, take a breath and look around and say, what is beautiful in this moment? What is the beauty that's being revealed in my family right now? Where do I see it? And what does it show me about the beauty of God being revealed through them or through creation or whatever it is that you're putting yourself in front of? To seek it out, to make space for it in your life and anchor you in the present moment. And to be captivated by a God who is so beautiful and extravagantly generous that he shows us more of who he is. And when we do, we cannot help but respond by creating beauty in the world through what we make and through how we live. When our world is broken and divided, we can demonstrate the beauty of God through the way that we show up in the world. You may not need to be an artist to present beauty You could be like my sister or whatever it is in your life that's like the alabaster jar that you need to do in lavish response to who God is in service and sacrificial love for the people around you that demonstrates our beautiful God. And God's desire is that the gospel would be clothed in beauty. That when the world looks at the church, they would see the beauty of God and say, wow, that's profoundly beautiful. How are we doing there? We have some work to do, don't we? When it comes to representing the beauty of Jesus in the world. But it's worth it. The gospel and Jesus is worth it. 
It's worth the sacrificial, extravagant love that we pour out on the world and it multiplies. And that when people see our beauty, they respond in beauty. And it goes and it ripples and it goes and it goes and it goes. Seek out the beauty of God, make space for it and respond by creating beauty in the world. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I thank you that you are profoundly beautiful. I thank you for your love poured out in extravagant generosity on our world. And I thank you for this story that anchors us in the present moment and reveals to us just how precious and sacred you are. And Lord, I pray for each of us here that we would be walking through our days, not blinded by our to-do lists and our tasks and the things that we busy ourselves with, God, but that you would help us to slow down and to be captivated by the beauty in each moment and to be wondered and filled with awe and respond in worship to your extravagant beauty in the world. Jesus, would our world begin to see your beauty expressed through us in the way that we respond. In your name we pray, amen.
our song if you guys want to stand and sing with us.
Well, hey, could you give another big hand to Betty? That was... You've been such a gift. You have such a gift, and you are a gift to us. And so I'm so grateful that you were here this weekend with us. What a beautiful message. No pun intended on that actual beautiful message about the beauty of Jesus. And so it was a great way to kick off this series. I'm excited about these next seven weeks as we lead to Easter, as we lead to spring, as we need to lose life. Yeah, you're like, woo! I, I, I noticed in the, in the very first video, we gave a shout out to parents, and you were like, yes! We're awesome. You are awesome, but we're getting there, and this is happening. We're moving towards hope, and so I invite you on this journey for the next seven weeks. Speaking of that journey, uh, Betty is an artist. She does create beautiful content. We went through something moving into Christmas, and now she's got something else that she's offering. Love you to put up that graphic, and all of you take your phones out and take a picture uh, because this is how you can connect with Betty. She always has stuff coming out, but she's got a uh, particular thing through this guide through loss and disappointment that we're going to actually use to move us into land. So if you'd like to be part of that, connect to that, take a picture of that. You can leave that up for a little bit. And hey, I just hope that you have a wonderful week. And my challenge to you is this. As you leave here all week, ask, what is beautiful around me? Just ask it. Ask it and look and see. And I pray that this week God really shows you how much beauty really does exist around you. Have a great week and we will see you next week. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.